Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Wealth Standard Radio. Um, I'm your host today, Brad Gibb, and with me is Ryan Lee. How's it going? Hey, it's going great. It's good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're listening and whenever you're listening. Another good day to record a podcast. So today's topic, uh, I think it's it's going to be a fun one. Might uh, spark a little controversy, but uh, we are going to talk about the end of the world as we know it. It's right? coming up. Yeah, well, everybody, and I don't know whether you read the same publications we do or not, a, a, a wide uh, amount, a, a pretty high amount of our readership has been exposed. It seems lately it's, it's really gaining a lot of momentum right now about events coming in October yeah. that are going to end the financial world. I mean, I've had people calling me up saying banks are closing in October. So what do I do? I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't get that memo. <laughs> um, but, and, and we're not here to say whether those events are going to happen or not. Can they happen? Yes. Is there enough basis for people to say, be prepared and understand it? Absolutely. But we want to talk a little bit more about what preparation makes sense uh, if if you're worried about whether it be October or just the general decline of the economy, um, our nation, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're going to talk about. Absolutely, man. And that's that's the thing that will bring economic peace and, and really bring you, make you prepared for anything that comes, whether it's in October, five years from now, or it never happens. Being prepared is always a good thing to do, right? Yeah. And kind of kind of fortuitous timing for this podcast. I read a blog post this morning uh, by a gentleman named Simon Black. Um, <clears throat> he writes a, a blog called The Sovereign Man. Now, he's definitely on you know, further to the extreme of the people that I read, I can't say I align a hundred percent with what he talks about, but I think I mentioned in a prior podcast, I actually like to read things that stretch me both directions that are even a little more extreme than what I think, because it helps ground me to where I'm at. So Simon, he says a lot of really very amazing and interesting things. I don't, but I don't necessarily agree with a hundred percent of all his conclusions, but in the in the in the blog I read today, he told a story where he had gone back and was looking at I don't know what he was he he's a big history buff so he does this but he was looking at there was some famous Olympic sprinter we're talking like two thousand years ago one like four straight um, Olympic events so that's like a, a sixteen year time period I mean pretty amazing yeah. uh, amazing Olympic athlete and there were still records about this guy as as a sprinter. And he started to, he, as he looked through this, he realized that the payout at that time, if you won the Olympics, was about 500 sheep. Not a bad payout, right? Go to the Olympics, get some sheep. Well, most of us right now wouldn't know what to do with that. Neither would I. But back then, yeah, that was definitely the, you know, having a large herd and things like that was, you know, prestige and status and, and certainly wealth at the time. And then he's, he, he kind of said, that got me thinking because he owns sheep in, he's got a ranch in Chile. And so he's like, I got thinking, well, what, what are sheep worth today? And he said the equivalent of about 500 bucks per sheep, uh, at least on his, uh, according you know, to his calculations, what he's got there. So he's like, it was really interesting. So, so 500 sheep would be worth about, you know, $25,000 based on what their, whatever their price is. I don't know if that math even works out, but whatever his math was, it, it ended up working out to be worth about $25,000. And then he looked at what Olympic athletes, if you're a U.S. athlete and you win the Olympics, you get a payout from the government, which I don't know why they do that, but you get a payout from the U.S. of about $25,000. So it's like, wait a minute, the payout for winning the Olympics hasn't changed in 2000 years, <laughs> even though 
it it changed forms. The it was kind of like sheep are an inflation hedge. Do you ever thought sheep were an inflation hedge? You know, I never considered hedging inflation with sheep. Okay, but uh, Simon just proved. Uh, that that can be done. But his point, and I really liked what he expounded later on his point, his point was, um, which payout would you rather have? Most people say 25 grand. Well, he was saying, take the sheet because the $25,000, first off, we all know it's a fiat currency. Uh, it's declining in value. And if you take that and you save it, you're not even gonna have $25,000, 10, 20, let alone 2000 years from now. Um, but he, he made an interesting point about the sheep. He's, what, you know, what does sheep do? They multiply. Right, he just says if you had that 500 sheep, they're going to have more sheep and more sheep and more sheep, and so it, it was the idea of are we taking our wealth and putting it in productive assets, or are we putting it in places that, by their nature, degrade and you know wear out or or diminish in value over time? So it was productive assets versus passive assets, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know much about sheep, but just thinking about sheep as a form of payment, you know, there's probably a lot of different ways that you can receive value from a sheep, right? I mean, I know people use the wool of a sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, meat. The meats. Uh, mm-hmm. They probably help graze your your pasture, your lawn or whatever it Save might gas be. gas on a lawnmower. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, there's a lot of different productive uses for a sheep. And I, I think that's a really good point because a lot of times we're encouraged to put our assets today, our cash assets, which have no tangible value, but we're encouraged to put those assets into other productive places where there's only one way to make money. There's only mm-hmm. one way to get any type of growth potentially on your on your investments, right? Well, or even into locations that aren't even productive, yeah. right? And that's the whole crux of you know, coming back to the, the, the potential events that are going to happen in October. What is the solution then if, if we're worried about an economic collapse, a currency collapse, a sovereign debt default, whatever event is on the horizon, any other, you name, I mean, we got 10 different bubbles inflated at the moment. You name it, any of those that come along, what is, is there a silver bullet for people to protect themselves? You know, we talk a lot about what that silver bullet can potentially be, but Mm -hmm. it's always in using using your assets productively to do productive things, finding a way to create value for other people, right? And mm-hmm. today, if you're sitting your cash on the sidelines, you're literally sitting unknown, you know, unknowing what was what's going to happen, but you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen, as opposed to going out there and being productive and finding tangible, usable assets that, that provide real value to people today, in the future and in the past, kind of like the sheep. Yeah. And, and so, I, I, Ryan, we've talked about this. This is the same for you. We're meeting with clients all the time that come and say, oh, this thing in October, I just can't do anything. Or I don't want to do something because I don't know what's going to happen in October. And I, I have to remind people that no action is action. Yeah. Right? Not doing something is the same as actually doing something. And in most cases, especially um, with the events that, that we're facing, I feel not doing anything and leaving your money sitting in something like a checking account is going to be probably the worst solution. What we need to be focused, what I encourage people to be focused on, especially in these times is find something that is going to be a productive asset. Think sheep, right? Sheep, they multiply, they grow, they're useful. There's multiple things. Find whatever it is that acts more like sheep rather than cash in a bank account. Yeah. Right. So, and, and it, I can't say that the silver bullet, to me, the silver bullet isn't uh, real estate or gold or commodities or whatever underlying thing it is. It's the difference between a useful, productive growing asset and a, an idle or even a net worth or capital gains asset. Why don't you 
talk about that. For yeah, a and I think I think you hit a really good point there. I mean, so oftentimes when 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 you know when we're talking to people, their financial plan that they're following is such an arbitrary gray area. They're 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 investing for net worth. Net worth mm-hmm. means literally nothing, and so they put their money into a place where it's completely unproductive. It's not providing any value to anyone, and let alone in most cases. They don't even know what they're investing in, right? I mean, you put your money in a mutual fund and you've got a conglomerate of companies all across, you know, all across the globe. But when that money's there, it becomes locked up. It's not providing any usable, tangible value to anyone today. And it, it's not it's not the sheep situation, right? Yeah. Well, and another word for net worth is market value. Yeah. Right. So when you log into your 401k or your brokerage statement, there's a dollar figure there that represents the value of your account. Well, you don't actually have those dollars. You have other assets that if they were sold at the bid ask price today, they would result in that many dollars coming back to your bank account. So it really is a reflection of other people's valuation of your assets or the market's value. Now, if we're concerned, like the, everything riding around October is is everything is concerned about the markets. The markets are manipulated. They're inflated. Uh, there's going to be issues with it. Well, why would we want to then trust that same market with all of our assets? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we talk a lot about with people is control, right? I mean, at the end of the day, there is no one that will care more about the success of your financial plan than you. And oftentimes, I think mm-hmm. that we put our money by default, because we don't even know what other options there are into assets that are out of our control. They might go up in value, they might go down in value. And one of the one of the main indications of if you're not in control is, are you scared of October? Is the major, Are the majority of your assets in a place that they might go up tomorrow or they might go down tomorrow, regardless of what you do? Yep. So when people come and ask me, should I be worried about October? I say, well, let's, let's take a look at your assets. Where do you have your money invested? And if you're my average client coming in the door, probably 80% of your net worth is in a market-based account. I said, yeah, you, you, now I, I wouldn't say necessarily you need to be worried about October, but you need to be worried because everything is market-based. Yeah. You don't have any, any sheep person, you know, for lack of a better way to say it. So the, the, to me, the preparation for uncertain times, I and mean, we've said this a couple of times now is really making sure that we're focused on our assets being productive, but there's a step that has to happen before that right? To say, just go get productive assets. Well, most people aren't in a position to even take that action. Or they don't even know what assets are productive assets. Exactly. So I guess there's really two pieces to that. The first is getting yourself educated, mm-hmm. right? And where would be a couple of places somebody could go or look into? I know we've said this a million times on our podcast and in all of our information, but what are some places someone could go to get educated about the difference between net worth and cash flow and what a productive asset is and how to use that and how to acquire those? Yeah. You know, I, I know when I first started learning about this, one of the revolutionary books that I read was uh, Rich Dad poor dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it totally shook up my my understanding of what a true asset is. An asset is, you know, according to, to Robert Kiyosaki, is something that literally puts cash in my pockets. If it doesn't put cash in my pocket, it's not a productive asset, right? And so, I think today we have a plethora of information. It, it takes some, it takes some some personal responsibility to go out there and say, okay, I want to invest in sheep, for example. Maybe this is real estate, maybe it's commodities, maybe it's, you know, whatever it is that you you feel is a productive asset. But you can go to the internet, right? You can read blogs and other resources. You can go to Amazon. I I know one of the tools that I've used over the last several years is as I'm commuting back and forth, I've got an Audible account, right? And Mm -hmm. so I'm listening to books or listening to books and what people say about various different topics day in and day out. Uh, There's podcasts that you can listen to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go to trainings. I know, I know on the weekends or on nights, 
there's all kinds of entrepreneurs that will offer trainings around their specific area of expertise. And so there's all kinds of ways that you can get the resources and the training and the education that you need, but no one's going to hand it to you, right? No No. one's going to come and say, okay, let's download how to be a real estate investor in your head in the next five minutes. That just doesn't happen. Right. And, and logging on to MSNBC is probably also not probably the best place to start with that, right? You need to go to people who are, who are talking the way, the way we are, right? Thinking, uh, and you can go back to a lot of our archives. We, we reference tons of blogs and, and podcasts and books and, and all of that to read. We won't go back through that today, but that's the starting point. If you feel like you are, you're already in that mode of, of being educated, the next thing that I tell people to do is you need to begin to position your assets in the right places because your money has to be stored somewhere. Your wealth has to be stored somewhere, especially the money that you're earning on a monthly and setting aside on a monthly basis. So if you're really, really worried about October or just the markets in general, why would we continue to put money into something like an IRA yeah. that, again, takes away our control and severely limits the type of assets that we can access? So I, I tell people that if we've got um, huge amounts of money tied up in sometimes in equity and in, in rental property, sometimes that's one we'll, that we'll look at and say, that's not that's not accessible. It is in a productive assets, but the equity might not be. Um, or just even just uh, there's lots of different places where that money uh, is not accessible to us f- in order to make the decisions that we need to make. So that's where Ryan, you and I, we really got attracted to the concept of of infinite banking and and the the life insurance policies that we talk about because it's the best ground zero for your capital. Yeah, I think it's an amazing foundation. I mean, when a policy is structured appropriately, it, it's going to build up cash value. And unlike just about any other asset out there, you can literally have your capital in a policy where it's growing, working, but you're in control of how you can use it today and for the for the forevermore in the future, right? You know, we put our money in a 401k and there are so many restrictions and limitations to when we can access it, how we can access it, and if we do, what the consequences of accessing that money are. And so by default, we put our money in there and it just stays parked. It's parked mm-hmm. in assets we don't control, then we're worried about October. Yep. If on the reverse side of that, if we set up a solid foundation to where we've got capital within a, an insurance policy that has cash value, we can literally put our money into the policy, have a very good solid foundation, use that for kind of our reserve account, use that for our protection account in case an October does happen. But then more importantly than that, I think, is then having a plan to go out and use that capital productively to acquire a, a broader base of assets, whether you're investing in real estate, you're starting a business, you're investing in commodities, whatever it might be, you can actually have your capital working within an insurance policy, growing and compounding. And without breaking that compound interest, that growth, you can also take the money and invest it elsewhere as well. Yep, exactly. So like we said, it, it really is that place that sets you up to be able to acquire those assets because all the education in the world without any means to act on it isn't really going to yield us any benefit. So a lot of people who do feel like they're fairly educated or understand these concepts are not in a position to do anything about it because of the the, the system they're using. Yeah. And that's really where we come in and what, what I really feel like uh, one of the main things we teach is we don't do a lot of placing people into the productive asset side because that's such a very specific conversation um, you know, based on your goals and objectives and situations and skills and likes and preferences and all that. But everybody can benefit from having a solid foundation. A better system, yeah. right? The rules don't change based on what you're trying to do. We just plug in different 
and objectives, I guess. You, you did a webinar, I don't know, probably two or three months ago, and I really liked the title of the webinar. You know, the thing that was preventing you from reaching your retirement goals or your real estate investing goals or whatever your financial goals are is the very thing that you're putting your money into. It's a 401k, yeah. right? You put all of your money into an investment that you can't touch and your money's locked up. You're then nervous about the future and you're kind of paralyzed as to what to do. But the worst problem is all of your money's locked up. And if you mm -hmm. want to go out and do something, you do not have the ability to do it. Um, you know, because I think the next thing about about this October deadline is if we approach the future with fear, we're always going to be on the sidelines. Once October comes and goes, what you know, regardless of what happens, there's going to be something else on the horizon. There are always going to be issues that will cause us to be nervous. And if we always sit on the sidelines, we're going to be missing tremendous amount of opportunities. If, however, on the reverse of that, you know, if you have your money in a productive place where the, the capital is liquid, you have confidence in what you're invested in, not only because of how the policy is set up, but who, you know, it's a contractual guarantee between you and the insurance company. You know, with a tremendous amount of historical confidence that the insurance company can and will deliver on the promises within their contract. So you've got a really good mm -hmm. solid foundation, which gives you confidence. And with that confidence, you're empowered to go out and act. And I think that's the biggest thing that will separate people who are successful financially and those who are always kind of squandering on on mediocrity is the ability and the confidence to act and move forward. That, that's a really, really good observation. Um, if, if we're always acting from a place of scarcity or, or fear, then that, that's going to permeate everything that we do because there's always going to be that next event on the horizon. Mm -hmm. That's just That's just the nature of life. If we ever get comfortable, then then that's when we should actually be, you know, probably the most worried. But I was listening to another um, <clears throat> podcast this morning on the way to work. Mike Dillard has a podcast called The Self-Made Man. Um, and I've just barely, he's barely started. I'm just into a couple of the first episodes, but um, he was interviewing an entrepreneur who, he, it, it wasn't even the main part of the dialogue, but as a side comment, he said, he's kind of a serial entrepreneur and he now has over 40 different streams of income coming to him. And I thought, man, how much security does that bring? Right? Almost no matter what happens to the economy, if you've got 40 different things bringing you income, then then he's got to feel pretty secure and safe in, in what he's doing and able to weather the October event or whatever else is going to come after it. Um, and it got me thinking, adding up mine, I don't have anywhere near 40, but I've got more than the average person. And, and maybe that's a really good exercise for you listening to, to add how many different ways does money come into my personal economy? Yeah. For the most, for most people, it's one. one. Yeah. And it's all, it's all dependent on them. The most important asset. I mean, I think oftentimes we forget, you know, we insure our vehicles, we insure our homes, we insure our health and all of this other stuff, but we don't insure our lives. And yet for most people, their most productive and important asset is them, the individual, right? If they mm -hmm. get sick, if they pass away, if anything happens to them, all of their streams of income stop immediately. And whoever they're leaving behind is is left to pick up the pieces, right? So, I mean, just talking about life insurance from that perspective, you know, at the end of the day, even though we set these policies up to focus on cash value so you can utilize that cash value, there's an underlying death benefit that protects you, the most important asset. And I know for me, I call the death benefit a permission slip. Right. And I've used my, my policies to invest in several different assets, you know, real estate and all kinds of different mm -hmm. cash flow producing assets. If I did not have life insurance, I would not feel comfortable taking on that additional risk, knowing that if I did pass away tomorrow, I hope I don't, 
But if I do, all of the liabilities, you know, if I'm taking on extra mortgages to to have rental properties and things like that, those could be taken care of, you know, mm-hmm. completely resolved with a death benefit that would pay out and leave my family in in a in a much better financial position. But it it does come down to insuring yourself and having that confidence to move forward. Yeah, there's a, a really good conceptualization of this that an associate of ours does named Mike Isom. Yeah. Um, and he he talks about it as the number one asset, the number one investment, and your number one strategy. The number one asset obviously is you, your productive capacity, your education, your knowledge. The number one investment is either your business or another active asset. I often call it real estate, but you know there there could be a couple of things that might fit in there. Um, and then your number one strategy is how does your money flow and what decisions do you make that then supports the other two? And that's what we love about infinite banking is the liquidity supports your number one investment because it it keeps that capital available for us to make the best decisions associated with the the things that are ultimately going to make us the most money possible. And then it also, through the insurance component of it, protects the number one asset. So there is no better, I mean, if you believe that idea that you are your number one asset and your number one investment are, are, uh, productive assets, there's no better strategy to then support those two uh, ideals or those two objectives. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing I love about that is you can't really quantify. Once you start to Mm -hmm. shift your focus around and realize that you are the number one assets and that your strategy is exercising your your potential, right? Your unique talents and abilities, Mm -hmm. exercising that in some way to provide value for, for people, those are the two most important things. And you can't really put a dollar sign or a, or, a, or a rate of return on that. But once you shift around to that, and that comes from a position of confidence of knowing, hey, I, I've got the ability to act and move forward. I mean, we, we talk to people who accomplish amazing things in very short periods of time. And, you know, one of the things I really like about this concept is, is we're talking to people about what their future financial goals are. Oftentimes, I find that the financial plan that they're currently using is a plan based on hope, right? They Mm -hmm. hope that markets work out. They hope that taxes stay low. They hope that their investment fees are low, but they don't really know. And they just, you know, all these, all these different things that are out Mm -hmm. of their control. And so financial, their financial future, and we'll just call it retirement, is such a nebulous thing. It's such a gray area. They don't even know really what they're shooting for and they don't know how to gauge success. But when you can have clarity on where your money's at today, how your money's working, and then more importantly, what you can do with it. I mean, it's really all about giving you a clear path to whatever your financial goals are. If you want to be at a place in 10 years and we can work backwards and say, okay, you have a plan. This is what you can do with it. If you do you know, action steps A through B or A through D or whatever it is, this is where you're likely going to be. And so bringing that clarity to a financial plan can really give people an understanding of what specific actions they need to do to, to reach their financial milestones. Well, as a tangent to that, I think it's a good idea to, to really clarify what we mean by education. Education is not learning w- what the next stock pick is or, or talking about products, where our money ought to be. It's learning principle. It's learning um, the rules of the game. It's learning what, what is, is, right? What, how reality actually works because as the world changes, the different things that our money is actually doing by nature has to change. I mean, rewind a hundred years. If you were in the buggy business, you know, making whips for horses, that was a pretty good business to be in. But as soon as Henry Ford came along, that industry was doomed. And if you didn't change 
the way you were thinking about your product, then you were going to get left behind. And that happens all of the time. Companies will, I mean, a, a very well-known company around uh, Utah, Word Perfect, was that way. They actually were ones that really invented um, the word the processor. Word processor. Yeah. And then Microsoft Word came along and left them in the dust. Yeah. Right. So they got kind of hung up on, on one thing. I'm sure there's a lot more to it. That's very vague in general. But we don't want to get, when it's financial education, it's not getting the next book on technical analysis of, you know, this specific industry that's going well or what, you know, the next Facebook or whatever it is. It's understanding the principles of wealth creation so that, because the confidence is going to come. Um, you sort of said it, you may not exactly know what's coming next, but you know that as long as I follow these steps, my outcome is going to be better than if I followed a different set of rules. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I don't know what thing to do next. Where I say, if you follow principle, if you really understand the tenets of wealth creation, then, and you only stick to those rules, and whatever you do has to fall inside of that framework, whatever you do has a million times better potential for success than if you follow the wrong set of rules. That's a really good point. You know, I think, I think when we're in school, we learn about the industrial age, right? And, and, you know, assembly lines and things like that, and how that was. The, the common system for, for a business to operate, you know, 40, 50 years mm -hmm. ago. But we're in a different age right now, the tech, the, you know, the technology age. Mm -hmm. And those who have not adapted are literally being left behind, companies and people alike. Um, if, we, if we extrapolate that to finances, back in the industrial age, um, you know, the, the, common financial the common financial plan was a three-legged stool approach, right? Mm -hmm. You would rely on, you would work at a company and you would retire on that company's pension. He would then also rely on Social Security, which was never really intended to be what it is today. But nonetheless, you would rely on Social Security. And then your savings was kind of a buffer on the top, right? As companies started to shift their, their focus away from pensions and them taking the responsibility for their employees' retirements, they shifted it onto the employee in a 401k, mm -hmm. right? So the 401k came out and we're now told to put our money into investments, again, that we don't control. There's a lot of concern, you know, kind of as we're talking about, uh, you know, future events, there's a lot of concern about Social Security out there. Pensions are th a thing of the past. And so now... Mm -hmm your financial future is literally on your shoulders. And if you're not doing anything productive to figure out how to, how to achieve those goals, if you're just blindly putting your money in a mutual fund or a qualified plan, hoping that things work out, you're going to be disappointed. Or even if you're, if, if you're asking the question, what is the next thing I should buy from an investment standpoint, you're asking the wrong question, Right. Because that's that's the whole problem is if, uh, what mutual funds should I be in or what sector of the market should I be in? That That's the wrong question. It's how should I be operating my money? Yeah. What fundamentals are in place to, to, that, that I'm employing to, to grow and, and create uh, and um, you know, develop my wealth? That's the level of education that we want clients to get to. And I don't, you're this, I, I know you've experienced this too, but sometimes I'll have clients come in that say, just tell me about the product. I, I've flat refused at times because that's not what we're about. We're not trying to say that our product is superior. What we're about is our system. 
is superior. The, the way that we look at the world, the way that we approach wealth creation is what we really feel is superior. And that's what we're teaching. And then once you learn and understand those principles, it makes all the sense in the world that we want a life insurance policy to help us bring that about. Only because that's the best way to facilitate the strategy. And if there was a better vehicle to facilitate the strategy, by all means, we'd be all over it. You got it. So it's not about the product. It's not mm-hmm. about the vehicle. It's about the underlying strategy. It's about your knowledge, the, the, the real estate in between your ears and how you can exercise that. Yep. So until your plan and your financial education gets to a point where you know the rules of the game and and what's that's what's going to save you from the Octobers. That's what's going to save you from the whatever event is going to come along later is understanding the rules. And then you can assess the environment and say, great, based on the environment, I can take this set of rules and I can make decisions and move forward regardless of what's happening. And for me, that's when my confidence really began to develop and I wasn't worried about other things. I and And really, it was liberating to be able to move forward into I'm not there yet, but certainly on the path to to that real, you know, financial independence and and wealth creation. And now I can honestly look and say, the only thing that separates me from where I want to be is time. I just need to execute. Right? I'm already. It's kind of that idea of be, do, have. Right? I feel like I'm, I am that type of person. I'm doing the right things, and I know with certainty that I'm going to have what I've set out to accomplish. And it's just a matter of, of implementing it. And it doesn't matter what's going to come along October or whatever other event. I, I'm not, I don't lay awake at night worrying about that. That doesn't stop me in my tracks. It influences my decisions. I need to be able to make decisions based on what I think is going to happen, but it doesn't paralyze me because I know the rules. I know who I am and I can move, always be moving forward toward my objectives and just be making small Adjustments. Uh, adjustments to yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, to, to wrap it up, you know, I love analogies and this one just popped into my head. So um, I watched a lot of football growing up. Barry Sanders, really, you know, amazing um, athlete running back for the Detroit Lions. Um, arguably one of the best that ever played. And I watched a special on him. This was years ago, but it just popped into my head. They said the thing that made Barry Sanders so agile is he made his cuts his, his adjustments to where he was running while he was always taking a step forward. He never moved laterally or, I mean, he did move you know backwards, but he was moving in the direction that he wanted to go when he was making his adjustments. So he was always gaining the, you know, he momentum was gaining ground. momentum yeah. and ground every time while he was making his adjustments. Um, and I think back to the days that I attempted my as best I could to play football, uh, my, my coach would always get after us. He said, I, I don't care if you make mistakes. What I, as long as you're making this mistakes at full speed, he wanted us moving at full speed. And then he was okay with making a mistake, but he, he would not put up with people standing still because they were afraid to make a mistake. And that is really, to me, the essence of this whole idea of October and the things that are coming along. If you're standing still, that's the worst thing. That's what you should not stand for. You should be moving forward under that set of principles that you hold as true and then make your adjustments as you're moving. I love it. You know, I, I, I had a similar, uh, similar thing that was told to me. There's a difference between falling down and falling forward, right? When you fall down, you're losing ground, you're falling down. And, and you know, inactivity is going to 
you know, knock you off your pedestal. It's going to knock you down. And then you feel like you're trying to regain your ground. But it's okay if you're moving forward. It's okay to fall forward. You learn a lesson, you get back up. You've already, you've, that lesson will perpetuate you and move you further towards your, your goals. As long as you're moving forward, you will always learn and always learn and go, go along the path and get to where you need to be. Yep. So that's what we feel like, I guess. Uh, that's our answer to, to the October crisis is, is get a plan, get a system, get the right financial education and be moving toward it, toward your objectives and then be able to make those adjustments. Go find some sheep. That's right. <laughs> Best investment that you can find. <laughs> okay. Good episode. Yeah. Thanks guys for listening today. Thanks everyone for listening. You can always check us out thewealthstandard.com. I think uh, you can subscribe uh, on iTunes to all our stuff. Obviously visit our website, paradigmlife.net. Um, and if you want to reach out to us, I think it's info at paradigmlife.net. Uh, you can request more information or just go onto our webpage um, and get any any additional stuff you need there. But uh, again, we, we really appreciate uh, you guys listening. This is why we do it is because you guys are out there listening and hopefully this was worth your time today. Thanks. Find out how you can fund endless family expenses through infinite banking. Visit paradigmlife.net forward slash resources for this wealth strategy. Find out how you can access your savings tax-free by visiting paradigmlife.net forward slash resources. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Thanks for joining us on the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. 